once again, here we are probing the depths of the Lord's Prayer. We are taking, actually, as I counted it through, 14 Sundays covering the Lord's Prayer. In the Greek, the Lord's Prayer is 57 words. So if you do the math, that means on an average, we are actually looking at uh, 4.1 words per week. Um, So today is a lengthier one. We are exploring seven words in our English translation, or six words in the Greek, and it's these words, on earth as it is in heaven. I hope that the simplicity of just a handful of words, though, doesn't take away from the power of really what we are going to explore. Srila read a couple of passages, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, but with each of those scripture readings, I really want to bring it back to just one idea, on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, by the way, I want to, uh, as I welcome you here, Uh, we want to recognize also that we have a faithful group of people that are watching us online each Sunday as we gather together. So it's it's not just these people here in the room who are present, but uh, those who are with us online. And uh, also, we want to give a shout-out to the group of MCBC campers that are at Darlington Provincial Park today, and they're also worshiping together at their campsite. It is good to be a church family all together. So, now let's think again about the structure of the Lord's Prayer. It starts with these words, Our Father in Heaven. I love this start to the prayer. Even if you don't get any further than those uh, four words, I hope you experience even just the power of that because really that's how I want to start all of my prayers and live them all, knowing that I am anchored in God's love for me because I have a loving Father who is in heaven. I am actually loved by God. You see, I am so forgetful, I am so distracted, but my Father in heaven is my focus. And that's how it starts. And then the prayer moves to this. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. May your name be holy. Three times that emphasis, your name, your kingdom, your will. And then it closes with these phrases, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our trespasses. Deliver us. So actually, it moves like this. It's your, 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 and then us, 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 and then right in the very middle of it, at the center is this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. May your name be holy on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. So let's think about that phrase, your will be done. And it starts here saying, your will be done on earth. Jesus is always teaching us that prayer is not just about ourselves. As we pray this prayer, we are always praying for the needs of the wider world. Um, Jesus actually did not teach us to only say, your will be done 
in my life. And actually, it's a good prayer, isn't it? To say, your will be done in my life. We have to start that way, don't we? Your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. But it can't end there. Jesus is encouraging us not to hide away, not to take care of just ourselves, not to worry about our own little kingdom, but to be focused on others. We can never settle for a personal kingdom. And this prayer is refining us in the heat of the furnace to shape our prayers. Because here's a question. Do, when I pray, do my prayers change the world? Or do they change me? And I hope that just even as you're thinking about that, that you're saying, it has to be both. See, when we pray, I think it's, it always is with this movement that Jesus is changing us. That Jesus is transforming us as we pray. That we start thinking differently. That our perspective changes as we pray. But Jesus is also pray, changing the world. Our prayer is also for the transformation of the world. Because John 3.16, the most famous verse, God so loved the world. God loves the nations of the world. In fact, God says in Isaiah 56, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And at the end of the age in the book of Revelation, we are given a vision of people worshiping God from every nation. It's a vast number. Nobody can count the number of people that are bowing down and worshiping God from every nation, people, and language. And every Sunday that we come here, we begin to get a small taste of that. Isn't that the truth? Just even as we gather here in this physical space, I love the fact that our church gets to represent the nations. Your will be done on earth. On earth, and then as it is in heaven. Think about this passage that Srila read to us from 2 Kings 6. And the big idea that I want to give to you is this. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that the earth is not all there is. The Old Testament story that we read about, it's a story about living life on earth, and it's a story about war. It's a story about a leader of a country, the king of Aram. Modern day, actually, the country that's covered with Aram really is Syria. So the king of Syria, um, he was flexing his military muscle, and he wanted to get more land, and he wanted to get more power. You know, isn't it good that in our modern world, no leader would ever act like this? But this king was upset. And this king was upset because Elijah, the prophet of God, was always a step ahead of the foreign king. Elisha knew through God's insight where the king would attack, when it would take place. He informed, he in turn would inform the king of Israel. And this foreign king was so enraged that he decided to close in on Elisha because he knew that actually Elisha had the power and it wasn't the king of Israel who did. And he came to the town of Dothan. He knew that Elisha was here. Elisha was hiding. He was here in the city. And it was this, this walled city. But then the army 
of a foreign king came to attack and they surrounded this whole city, closing in on Elisha with horses and chariots. And the servant of Elisha was saying, Elisha, what will we do? What will we do? And the prophet answered, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw his, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, chariots of fire all around Elisha. This really has become a prayer for me. Lord, open my eyes so that I might really see this world through your eyes, so that I might see this world the way that you see it. See, the powers of government, whether it's democracy or dictatorship, really is under the rule of God. This one little story pulls back the curtain to remind us of a big truth that is found in Scripture. And it's this. Jesus is King of Kings and Jesus is Lord of Lords. There are times when we have our own fears about what is next for the world. But we need to hear these words. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. There is an exciting, invisible world at work where there is perfect obedience to God. And every time we pray, we realize that there is a way bigger spiritual reality at work because we are praying this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 103 says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God's will is done completely in heaven and our prayer is a revolutionary one that heaven might come down to earth. I love how Daryl Johnson, he's a Canadian pastor, he puts it like this, to pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in heaven's invasion here on earth. To pray the Lord's Prayer is to participate in a revolution of huge proportions. It's not a prayer that we be removed instantly from all the problems of the world, of the world. It's the prayer that God's presence will be fully encountered here and now. This prayer is somehow that the beauty of heaven will become an earthly reality. I think this prayer is a longing for something more. In the middle of Romans 8, Paul writes about longing. In verse 22, we read, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This verse is really a mysterious one for me. I don't know if I understand it all, but here's really what I do understand. The word groaning is found three times in those verses all around that passage. And it's this desire of wanting more. There is a longing that something more might come. Not just human groaning, but all of creation is groaning. All of creation. 
There are overwhelming heat waves in parts of the world. And then there's flooding in other parts of the world. There's forest fires elsewhere. There's warfare. There's racism. There's homelessness. There's loneliness. There's mental illness. There's cancer. It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It's not just a little bit of creation that's groaning, but Paul writes and says, all of creation is groaning and is longing for something more. And if somehow all of creation is groaning for the world to be set right, what does that say about our own longings? Do you have any groanings or longings that God will actually enter onto the stage? The psychiatrist Gerald May observed this. He said, after 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I'm convinced that human beings have an inborn desire for God. Whether we are consciously religious or not, this desire is our deepest longing and our most precious treasure. Don't we long for many things? We long for health. We long for good relationships. We, we long for living in a safe place. We long for meaningful work. We hope for the future, for something good. We want to do something that really counts in life, and we long to do that and to be, have meaningful things to do. And so Paul writes, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This is not the end. This is not problems, but these are the pangs of childbirth that something greater is actually coming. God's not given up on his creation. A few decades ago, I was really very moved when I read a book, and it was a story of Jerry Sitzer. He is a young man. He lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother in a tragic car accident all in one day. Decades after that loss. Now here we are, fast forward. Just more recently, he was writing about the loss of his daughter with these words. And he wrote this, he said, Why do I still mourn her absence and think about her so often? Why do I miss her and yearn for her? Why do I sense that our relationship has not ended, though she is no longer here? It could be just so much wishful thinking, a matter of pure sentimentality and fatherly emotion, a vain attempt to keep her with me, though she is forever gone, but it could be something else too. And he continues writing these words, I believe that all of our longings point to an ultimate longing, which is the longing for heaven. And what I mean by heaven is the rule of God over all of life in and through Jesus Christ. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer, this prayer is waking us up to our earth's longings. You know, that word heaven actually has two meanings in Hebrew and in Greek. 
The Hebrew word is Shemayim, and the Greek word is Uranos. And you can guess where that word comes from, from one of the planets that are in the, is in the sky. And that Greek word means two things. It means skies. First of all, that's all it means. Heaven just means sky, the sky that is over us. And then in the New Testament, it came to mean also, using that same word, sky, it means the invisible realm of God that is present among us. At times in the Bible, these two things are overlapping. So when you hear the word heaven, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of heaven? Do you think of a cloud? A nice fluffy cloud with a seat that's very comfortable where you can play a harp. Well, not a guitar, not a piano, a harp. Um, and Or maybe when you think of heaven, you think of pearly gates, St. Peter standing at the door. And in common culture, that's what we think about. We kind of laugh at it. And it's almost a way of downplaying heaven when we think of, of those images of heaven. What do you think of when you think of heaven? Maybe heaven is not so much a geographic space, but heaven is where God takes residence, where God takes up residence. God's space is where there is justice. God's space is where there is goodness. God's space is where there is beauty. God's space is where his will is done. So when Jesus began his ministry, um, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said this knowing that heaven is coming down to earth through Jesus. When we do Jesus' will right here, actually, the kingdom of heaven is coming down. Now, of course, we know this. The Bible also talks about what happens when we die. There's a beautiful story, and you know the story of the thief on the cross who in his dying moment said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and told him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23. But here in the Lord's Prayer, it's something different. We're not just praying that we will be instantly taken up to heaven. The prayer is this, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's the Lord's prayer is the prayer Jesus teaches us to pray that in our lives right now, heaven will come down here on earth and be present with us. In the end, we are praying for this. And I think this is the great theme of the Bible. The great theme of the Bible, we are praying for heaven and earth to be married. That's at the heart of this Lord's Prayer too. Lord, please bring heaven down. You know, if we don't want holiness right now, if we don't want to grow in Christ-likeness right now, if we don't want his will right now, and if we don't want heaven to be here right now, then why should we ever want it when we die? The joy of heaven begins right here and now. No, 
Heaven is not here in all of its fullness. You and I know that all too well. Paul reminds us that we're still groaning. But a piece of that heaven life is accessible right here and right now. That's what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer. Genesis and Revelation and everything in between, both all talk about heaven and earth. The very first verse of the Bible, do you have it memorized? Let's say it together. It's not going to be up on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Ah, did you notice that? Heaven and earth mentioned together in the very first verse of the Bible. In the Garden of Eden, there seems to be actually no separation between heaven and earth. God walked in Eden, and Adam walked with him. Heaven's presence, there was the unity of heaven and earth. God's space was all space. God was present everywhere. But the story of sin entering into the world is one in which we want God out of the garden. And we want to do things on our own terms. In essence, it was a message of saying, we don't want your presence here, God. So where is God to be found then in the Bible afterwards? God leaves the garden. Where is God to be found in the Old Testament? God is to be found where in the tabernacle. You know that tent-like structure where there is a holy, holy space. And then later in the time of the Old Testament, there is the temple and this curtain, this thick, heavy, heavy curtain where only the high priest could enter in once a year and enter into that holy space through a sacrifice, through blood, through the shedding of a lamb, It's blood that the high priest could meet with God in that holy space. This almost like this division or this separation of of heaven and earth. Then in the Gospel of John, we read that when Jesus came, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know, that word dwelling actually means tabernacled. He put his tent among us so that he could come and be present with us. Literally, it means that Jesus put up his tabernacle and made his home with us. The presence of God, Jesus, is a temple. And he is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. I like what Tim Mackey in the Bible Project tells us. That's what's interesting is that Jesus isn't staying safe, staying inside in this safe, clean space. He's running around and he's hanging out with sinners. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of a world of sin and death. You know what? You might want to look at the Bible Project. Their video teaching on heaven and earth is a powerful one that reflects on some of the ideas that I'm talking uh, about with you today. But in the end, God's goal is to fulfill the Lord's Prayer. We pray, 
don't we pray that that hearts will be open for each person to say, may your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so then we come to Revelation chapter 21. And we read this. Then I saw the new heaven and a new earth. Notice that. Oh, the phrases, heaven and earth. Genesis 1, Revelation 21. And those words also found right in the heart of the Lord's prayer. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The creation in Genesis is now restored through Jesus. And here we get the image of the Garden of Eden now in the form of a city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Heaven descends and God's space and human space are reunited once again. Please notice here, it's interesting that the holy city is descending. Here, here, at least in this passage in Revelation 21, it's the picture of heaven coming down to earth rather than us being taken up into heaven. I would have thought, and, and please notice also that it's the holy city that is descending. I would have thought that it would talk about Jesus descending, but it is the city, the holy city, the people of God that are descending. A question here. And it's the holy city. The holy city. Hey, are you more of a country person or a city person? Um, okay, so let's think. Oh, city person or country person? Okay, I don't know. Anybody brave enough to say show of hands? We had a few people saying country people, country people. Okay, there you are, city people. Okay, oh, I see lots of city people hands. Okay, thank you. Um, you know what, some of you, maybe you've come to Mississauga and maybe it's just for work. You're here for work. Maybe it, you want to be close to somebody that you love and you're close to a friend, but some of you just want to get far away. You want to get into the country where, where the air is fresher and you have more space and you have this itch to get away. Some of you here, you are city people. You know, you are happy to be in a place where many people are present, where you can choose your restaurant amongst thousands of choices, you know, where you can call your friends and just gather together and be there quickly. The city is your home. You know, I would have thought God didn't like cities, you know. Um, I'd think, you know, God made everything good in country or in a garden. Gardens are places where we, where we stroll and where we contemplate. Gardens are places where we meet with God in the cool of the day. And, and you know what? The country is a beautiful place. But a city, think of that. Is a city really a good place? Cain kill, kills Abel and runs off to hide in a city, right? That's where you can hide away from everybody else, you know? Humanity disregards God, Genesis 11, and gathers together to build a tower and rebel against God in the city of Babel, 
right? And then we read of God's judgment in Revelation, uh, Revelation 18, the city of Babylon, and we hear these words, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. But now here in Revelation 21, heaven is the holy city. Eugene Peterson writes these words, heaven is the holy city living in harmony with God. Heaven is a virgin bride, alive with intimacy with God. And the city and the bride are us. God loves the world. And God loves cities too. So in the book of Revelation, we read, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And here it is, the uniting of heaven and earth. So we can pray a prayer like this and just say, Oh Lord, oh Lord, may your will be done in my life and in my home and in my workplace. May your will be done in my city and in the cities of the world, in San Salvador and in Mumbai, in Port-au-Prince and in Kingston, in Manila and in Lagos in Moscow and in Kiev, in Toronto and in Mississauga, God loves the cities. See, the Lord's Prayer doesn't separate us from the world. It helps us to love the world that God loves. And even bigger than that, one day heaven and earth will be joined together forever and ever. And that's at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. And as we pray this, every time we get to participate with God in his work. You see, we get to pray for his work. And we get to live as kingdom citizens, living our lives as agents of Jesus, bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, here on earth, so that God's will might be done here on earth, exactly as it is in heaven. Now that is inspiring and that motivates me. I'm going to invite you to pray, but the prayer we're going to pray is a prayer that you know as well. It's the Lord's Prayer. If you have it memorized in English, then pray it in English with me. If you have it memorized in another language, then pray it in that language. And let's come as the nations of the world to bring our hearts to God. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.